Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Gas prices are dropping. The White House says we could see more gas stations going below $4 per gallon in the coming weeks. Truck drivers slow traffic at the Oakland seaport this week while protesting a California law. They say the rule makes it more difficult for independent contractors to work. The Biden administration is taking steps to help immigrants stay in the country, but many of them have come to the U.S. illegally. We tell you the two changes being made to immigration policy and some of the criticism that's followed. A Florida jury will decide whether or not to choose the death penalty for the 2018 high school shooter who killed 17 people. Good news for your wallet. The price at the pump is coming down. The White House and some analysts say we could see average U.S. gas prices drop below $4 per gallon in the coming weeks. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. The White House Monday touted a 34-day drop in gas prices nationwide, calling it one of the fastest declines in fuel prices in a decade. White House economic advisor Jared Bernstein says he expects prices to keep dropping. We think it's reasonable to expect more gas stations to lower their prices in response to lower input costs and thus, barring unforeseen market disruptions, to see average prices fall below $4 per gallon in more places in coming weeks. According to AAA, the average price for a gallon of regular has dropped 48 cents from a month ago. And GasBuddy says regular gas costs less than $4 a gallon at nearly one in five gas stations. Most of the cheaper gas is in the southeast in Texas. The White House took some credit for declining prices. A reporter asked if they're trying to have it both ways, saying when prices go up, it has nothing to do with the president. And when prices go down, they give him credit. Yeah, I very much disagree with that framing. I think what's happening here is a president who is working uh, tirelessly, showing you here today uh, some real results, uh, partially uh, that, uh, that partially derived from concrete efforts he's taken. AAA says the steady decline is due to a much lower global price for oil and lower domestic demand for gas. Despite lower prices for some, as of Tuesday, AAA says the national average is still $4.49 a gallon. That's still much higher than a year ago. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was in South Korea Tuesday. She said Washington will discuss with South Korea how to limit revenues flowing to Russia such as price caps on its oil. Russia's illegal war and the global energy shock that has followed underscores the need to protect ourselves from dependence on foreign oil that makes us vulnerable to the whims of authoritarians. Yellen said they'll also work to curb North Korea's nuclear and missile programs. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Truck drivers hindered traffic at the Oakland Seaport on Monday. They gathered to protest a California law that makes it harder for independent contractors to transport goods. The rule could limit labor at the state's already clogged seaports, threatening to worsen the nation's supply chain woes. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. The trucking disruptions come as unions and West Coast port employers are negotiating a labor contract. The law is known as AB5, or the Gig Worker Law, and sets tougher standards for classifying workers as independent contractors. I worry because it's make you more responsible for everything that's going on with your truck uh, and the cargo you're hauling. Now they want to do 
make you responsible for everything, the equipment and all the containers we pull out from the port. Independent truckers now operate under the authority and insurance of companies that hire them. Under the law, they would have to take on the hefty costs and red tape themselves. That will increase our costs and, um, you know, not, not, not just costs and it, 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 it takes a lot of hassle. We need to hire people to, you know, uh, help us do all the paperwork. Legal challenges kept the law from going into effect in 2020. But the Supreme Court last month denied a California Trucking Association petition, claiming the law is blocked by federal regulations. An injunction that put the law on hold could be lifted soon. Not just easy to go into the terminal. You have to go in there and pick up the load. You have to set up the appointment. You have to uh, set up all the, all, all the pickups, all the returns. What if you run into a trouble in, in uh, going in to return your uh, container? As part of the Monday protest, more than 100 drivers and small trucking company operators opposed to the law swarmed two terminal gates in the port of Oakland. And last week, port truckers in Los Angeles picketed gates and snarled roadways at the nation's busiest seaport complex. About 40% of U.S. imports and 25% of exports run through the Los Angeles and Long Beach ports. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The Biden administration is making two big changes to help immigrants who are coming to the U.S., though many of them are doing so illegally. The president made the changes to immigration policy by reinterpreting federal law. The two changes are that certain immigrants are, one, shielded from deportation, and two, allowed to be employed legally. That's if the DHS secretary says their home country meets certain criteria. When it meets that criteria, it's given temporary protected status, or TPS. The agency is granting TPS status to 15 countries. Those include Afghanistan, El Salvador, Somalia, Ukraine, and Venezuela. Immigrants protected by TPS used to have to stay in the country unless they got approval to travel. That was up until July. Before that time, if they left and came back, they would have the same status, that is, whether they are a legal or illegal immigrant. But now, people with TPS who return will be considered legal entrants to the U.S. The U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS, is the department that changed that policy, though that approach has met with criticism. For example, Jessica Vaughn, a policy studies director at the Center for Immigration Studies, told the Epoch Times that basically launders the fact that they came here illegally and that will put them on the path to a green card. Furthermore, Emilio Gonzalez, who directed the USCIS during the George W. Bush administration, said this is an end run on U.S. immigration law and Congress. It really is a left-handed way of legalizing people. An end run means finding a way around something. USCIS said the change stemmed from three things. Those are a court decision, guidance from lawyers at the DHS, and a policy evaluation. The Supreme Court weighed in this year. It ruled people with TPS status are not allowed in with the purpose of becoming a permanent legal resident. It was a unanimous decision. Justice Elena Kagan, who Obama appointed, wrote, a grant of TPS does not cure a foreign national's entry without inspection or constitute an inspection and admission of the foreign national. But USCIS found a loophole. The fine print of the court's ruling said it did not apply to immigrants put on parole. The DHS secretary can parole an immigrant, which allows them to come into or stay in the U.S. legally. And USCIS cited a Fifth Circuit court ruling. It said if a TPS recipient leaves the country and comes back, they are to be admitted and treated like a legal immigrant, even if they originally entered illegally. A prosecutor is recommending the death penalty for the gunman in the 2018 Florida school shooting. 17 people were killed and 17 more were injured. Here are the details. All 17 were cold, calculated, and premeditated. A prosecutor on Monday urged jurors to sentence to death 
the gunman who killed 17 people at a Florida high school in 2018 as the penalty phase of the trial kicked off. Last October, 23-year-old Nicholas Cruz pleaded guilty to the premeditated murder of 14 students and three staff members at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Referring to Cruz primarily as the defendant rather than by name, Prosecutor Michael Satz said Cruz had planned to be a school shooter well before the attack. He read to the Broward County jurors chilling words by Cruz in a video recorded three days before the shooting. Hello, my name is Nick. I'm going to be the next school shooter of 2018. My goal is at least 20 people with an AR-15 and some tracer rounds. It's going to be a big event. Around three dozen family members of the victims were present in court. Some shook their heads or wept as Sats described the massacre. Teacher Brittany Sinage, called as the prosecution's first witness, described calling the 911 emergency number from her classroom. Her students were writing Valentine's letters as characters from Romeo and Juliet as the attack began on the afternoon of February 14, 2018. Cruz, who was a 19-year-old expelled student at the time of the massacre, will be sentenced to life in prison without parole if any of the 12 jurors objects to the death penalty. Cruz in his guilty plea said he was very sorry and asked to be given a chance to help others. But the prosecutor said aggravating factors in the case, including premeditation, outweighed arguments for leniency. The jury's decision could take several months. Prosecutors plan to charge a 20-year-old Los Angeles man in connection with three murders across Southern California. That's after a deadly crime spree last week at a half-dozen 7-Elevens and a donut shop. Malik Pat is a stone-cold serial killer. There's no other way to describe him. He executed innocent people and he shot others. And his behavior and the crime spree he engaged in is... Literally, I just got chills up my own spine. It's chilling. Authorities believe 44-year-old Jason Payne accompanied Malik Pat in the crime spree, but without direct involvement in the most serious of the crimes. The killings started with the fatal shooting of a homeless man in Los Angeles on July 9th. That was followed on July 11th by the deaths of a 7-Eleven clerk and a man who intervened in a robbery in a 7-Eleven parking lot. Three others were shot and wounded on that day, one of whom remains gravely injured. The July 11th robberies occurred within five hours in San Bernardino, Orange, and Riverside counties. An intensive manhunt followed that resulted in the arrests of the two men in Los Angeles on Friday. Pat faces a slew of charges that, if convicted, could result in the death penalty or a life sentence without the possibility of parole. A hearing on Louisiana's laws banning most abortions ends without an immediate ruling. A judge has kept in place an order that has allowed abortions to proceed while legal arguments are unfolding. Y'all should really listen to this. Laws in this state are presumed to be constitutional unless a judge says otherwise. Today, the judge did not say that our statutes were unconstitutional. What that means is that those laws are in effect. 
In Louisiana, a statewide abortion ban has taken effect twice and has been blocked twice since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June. Pro-abortion groups were out protesting the state's effort to, eff- to enforce the ban and were forceful in their efforts to try to drown out the voice of the state's attorney general. Currently, authorities in Louisiana cannot enforce the ban due to a temporary order issued by a judge last week. At least one clinic is offering abortion procedures. The plaintiffs in the lawsuit don't deny that the state can ban abortion as a result of the Supreme Court ruling, but they say that portions of the law are unclear. Lawyers for billionaire Elon Musk and Twitter are set to square off in court for the first time today. Twitter sued Musk, who is Tesla's CEO, to force him to complete his $44 billion deal to buy the social media company after he backed out. Tuesday's hearing is focused on how soon the case will go to trial. Twitter is requesting to expedite proceedings and ask for a four-day trial in September. Musk's legal team is opposing that. The hearing will be on Zoom because the judge tested positive for COVID. Jury selection is underway in the trial of Steve Bannon, who was once an advisor for former President Donald Trump. He faces criminal contempt of Congress charges for refusing to cooperate with the January 6th investigation. I think we'd have had been more productive if we'd been on Capitol Hill in front of open mics addressing the nation with exactly all this nonsense, this show trial they've been putting up on, uh, on Capitol Hill. It's nothing but a show trial. It's time they start having other witnesses, they can give other, other testimony other than what they've been putting up. During jury selection, a prospective juror told the judge that remaining impartial would be a challenge for him since he already believes Bannon is guilty. That admission disqualified the potential juror. It also prompted the questioning of others who sat next to him to determine how widely he shared his opinion. Bannon is charged with defying a subpoena from the January 6th committee that sought his records and testimony. He has since told the committee that he is willing to testify publicly, and Trump has said he is willing to waive executive privilege and allow Bannon to do so. The judge said this information is at least potentially relevant to Bannon's defense. And coming up, a Boston rally has brought attention to religious persecution under the rule of the Chinese Communist Party. Falun Gong practitioners recounted their experiences of being persecuted inside and outside of China. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Transgender swimming athlete Leah Thomas is back in the spotlight again. We hear from an activist and former collegiate champion swimmer on why there is backlash against Thomas's school, the University of Pennsylvania. Please welcome Marcy Smith, who is the co-founder of Icons and an NCAA Division I champion. Thank you for coming on the show, Marcy. Thank you so much for having me. What precedent is being set now that transgender swimmer Leah Thomas has been nominated for the NCAA Woman of the Year Award, given that Thomas has undergone male puberty? Well, sadly, awards like this are being drained of meaning because um, in the title, it says NCAA Woman of the Year. It's one of the most um, distinguished awards that a woman can win in their collegiate career. And for many of these women, um, it's going to be the highlight of their lives, and it's something to celebrate previously. Um, This year, it's being turned into yet another media circus. It's it's being, um, like I said, drained of meaning because 
uh, in the definition of who's eligible for the award, and the key term is eligible, um, you know, it says that this is reserved for female athletes, and that's just not the case this year. So um, if the criteria are not being met and they're going to allow male athletes to compete, it's really tragic for all these female athletes now across sports. So swimmers are not the only ones who are going to be in competition, but now um, any athlete in their in college athletics is um, at risk of uh, having their accomplishments um, diminished. I know athletes at this level put in a lot of hours in training. What can you tell us about the morale of female athletes right now? Um, I would say there is a sense of um, this real defeating feeling. Again, it's being, it's being, it's blow after blow, uh, particularly by the Ivy League, but the NCAA in general has just um, continued to send this message to all women across really the globe now that this is global news, um, that we don't matter, that fair competition doesn't matter, and uh, that our accolades are being given away, and that's okay by them. Now, according to an announcement for the award, the NCAA award recognizes female student-athletes. Do you think there needs to be a standardized way of classifying genders nowadays? Absolutely. And I mean, all the way um, to the top, uh, governmentally, legally, the definition of woman, the definition of female needs to be established. And that's where the uh, Biden administration has blurred the lines and misinterpreted uh, the word sex, meaning male and female, to include gender identity. So um, in that case, there really is no distinguishing um, meaning for each class, and therefore female athletics and female sex-specific spaces are um, at risk, and, uh, you know, it's really a free-for-all at this point. So we spoke about a month ago, and you had sent a letter to the NCAA protesting over this trans athlete. Have you had any update on this? There continues to be no response. It's been 117 days that uh, almost 50 of us have signed a letter from the U of A uh, swimming alumni, uh, including swimmers and coaches, that is just has been given zero response. So what we have done is um, organized a, a conference that we recently put on in Las Vegas that um, allowed us access to speak directly to athletic department staff, uh, which we did. You just have to be creative in the way that we're going to have our voices heard. And so more women, I just encourage you to speak out, even on social media, to show support for these um, young women athletes. Marcy Smith, co-founder of Icons, thank you so much for your update. Thank you. An allegedly fraudulent scheme that lost innocent investors millions of dollars ended on Monday. That's after two Chinese naturalized U.S. citizens were arrested on federal conspiracy charges. The pair claims to have ties to former President Donald Trump. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. 
According to a Justice Department complaint, more than 150 investors lost millions of dollars on an investment scheme that promised to construct an educational institution in rural New York. Allegedly, many of the investors were foreign nationals living outside of the United States who were promised green cards and access to prominent U.S. politicians in exchange for their investments. Sherry Shui Li and Lian Bo Wang are accused of cooking up a multi-layered scheme which defrauded investors out of more than $27 million. The pair allegedly convinced investors by saying they had the support of prominent politicians. For example, The Patch reported that federal prosecutors said Lee took a photo in June 2017 with then-President Trump at a fundraiser, then used it to solicit investments for the fake project. They also allegedly charged 12 foreign nationals $93,000 each to attend the fundraiser. A special agent said in a statement that the pair used the illegal money to live a luxurious life and make friends with prominent politicians. In December 2013, the New York Post reported that Lee approached officials in a small upstate New York community about building a Disney-like China City of America, complete with an amusement park, huge mansions, and a famous Chinese city. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. In July 1999, the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, launched its notorious persecution against the faith group Falun Gong. Under the decades-long anti-religious campaign, a staggering number of practitioners have been kidnapped, illegally imprisoned, and even tortured to death. This past weekend, a special rally in Boston called for international attention to the ongoing atrocities in mainland China and beyond. Let's take a look. July 20th of this year marks the 23rd anniversary of the persecution of Falun Gong in China. To observe the date, a rally was held at the Boston Common, a public park in downtown Boston. Luan Shujun is a Falun Gong practitioner from the northern Chinese city of Heilongjiang. In 2008, he was illegally detained by police in Beijing. When I was arrested, I was taken to a detention center where a man named Xu Yong from the 610 office in Chaoyang District Police interrogated me. The first sentence he said was, Luan Shujing, we have investigated you and we know you are a good person. From his words, I could tell that the CCP knew that Falun Gong practitioners are good people and all they wanted was to suppress and persecute us. The 610 office is an extra-legal agency established by the Chinese Communist Party on June 10, 1999. The office has the authority to override China's constitution and laws. Its sole purpose is to monitor and enforce the persecution of Falun Gong. Even practitioners in the United States are subject to threats from the CCP. Bella Zhuo is a psychiatrist from Shanghai. During her postdoctoral fellowship at Harvard Medical School in 2015, she gave a presentation mentioning the persecution of Falun Gong. After my presentation at Harvard, one program director from China came to my residence in Boston and wanted to take my eight-year-old son around from me for a private conversation. Out of fear of what might happen to my son, I refused. She says her son was scared and developed a fever that night. But that wasn't the end of Zhuo's story. After that, I was threatened to end my fellowship earlier than I was supposed to. And I was told to write a so-called repentance statement before I returning to China. Otherwise, I would lose my job back in Shanghai. Duo refused to write the statement renouncing her faith. 
As a result, she was dismissed from the hospital she had worked at for 15 years. Following speeches at the Boston event, yellow-clad ralliers also took to the front lawn of the Massachusetts State House. There, they demonstrated the five meditative Falun Gong exercises to music. Some visitors paused to take pictures of the display. Others added their names to anti-persecution petition sheets. Since its spread from China in 1992, Falun Gong has been practiced by millions of people in over 70 countries around the world. But that large number prompted the CCP to begin a brutal crackdown on July 20, 1999. Forms of persecution include beatings, forced labor, live organ harvesting, illegal imprisonment, and more. A report shows that in 2021 alone, more than 6,000 Falun Gong practitioners were illegally arrested or jailed. At least 10,000 reported being harassed by officials. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, Russia's Gazprom sent a letter saying it might have to halt the flow of gas to Europe due to factors beyond its control. Europe fears the stoppage is in retaliation to economic sanctions. And the Russian exclave of Kaliningrad has been struggling with supply chain issues due to Western sanctions, but there is a new solution for residents, at least for now. Find out more right here on NTD News. Ukraine's First Lady Olena Zelenska is on a high-profile trip to the United States this week. Her first stop was in Washington, where she met with Secretary of State Antony Blinken. The State Department said the Secretary assured Zelenska of U.S. commitment to Ukraine. This really was uh, an opportunity for the Secretary to underscore the United States' uh, comprehensive and enduring commitment to uh, the people of Ukraine. Uh, He had an opportunity to commend the First Lady's Uh, work to support the many civilians, Ukrainian civilians, who have been uh, in different ways impacted by uh, this brutal war against Ukraine. Zelenska's visit includes a meeting with her American counterpart, Jill Biden. This is the second time the two first ladies have met since war started. Previously, Zelenska hosted Jill Biden on Mother's Day during her unannounced visit to Ukraine. Since then, Zelenska's media exposure has increased. She has promoted counseling millions of Ukrainians now dealing with grief and trauma. Zelenska studied architecture at university, but since became a comedy writer. Her husband, Volodymyr Zelensky, made his name as a comedian before he won the presidency in 2019. The couple used to work together. Next on the First Lady's itinerary is an address to U.S. lawmakers in the Congressional Auditorium at the Capitol on Wednesday. Gazprom has told European customers it can't guarantee gas supplies because of extraordinary circumstances. That's according to a letter from the Russian energy company in which it said it was declaring a force majeure on supplies. The letter itself was dated July 14th and addressed to at least one major customer. Known as an act of God clause, force majeure is used to shield a business from factors beyond its control, like natural disasters. Gazprom had no immediate comment. It marks an escalation in an economic tit-for-tat with the West over Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Uniper, Germany's biggest importer of Russian gas, was among the customers who said they received the letter and that it had formally rejected the claim as unjustified. A source tells Reuters the force majeure concerns supplies through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, 
a major supply route to Germany and beyond. It's currently undergoing maintenance, and Europe fears Moscow could keep the pipeline mothballed in retaliation over sanctions, heightening an energy crisis that risks tipping the region in recession. The European Union aims to stop using Russian fossil fuels by 2027, but wants supplies to continue for now as it develops alternative sources. TV Rain was once a liberal-leaning independent TV channel in Russia. It was forced to close its Moscow studios after the war began in Ukraine. But the channel says it's now back on the air from abroad. Some of our viewers, of course, without Dost, they shifted to, to the propaganda and we lost them, which means that it will be much harder to get them back. And of course, it will be harder for us to get this audience because of all the restrictions in, uh, in, uh, in Russia. TV Rain, or Doge in Russian, started off as a non-political media outlet in 2010. It was once visited and praised by former President Dmitry Medvedev, but since President Putin returned to the presidency in 2012, it has been harassed continuously. Since March this year, the channel has been forced to close due to its coverage of the war in Ukraine. Likewise, all other major independent media have either closed or moved abroad under the Kremlin's new law on war reporting. But TV Rain announced this week that it has obtained a broadcasting license from the European Union. The channel will be working from studios in Latvia, France, the Netherlands, and Georgia. The broadcast is also available on YouTube, which is uncensored in Russia. Hit by unprecedented sanctions and supply chain issues, Russia is looking for ways to deal with the internal demand for goods. One solution is what's known as parallel imports. Let's take a look. Swedish furniture store IKEA is planning to exit Russia, but in Russia's Baltic enclave, Kaliningrad, IKEA products are still on sale through another channel. A reseller called IKEA at Home is importing the products from a nearby city in Poland. Before, we only dealt with deliveries, not sales, but deliveries. Basically, we did not sell goods. We just delivered them. The brand is not in a position to assert its rights over its products, so we can sell it totally officially. Faced with Western sanctions, Russia has legalized so-called parallel imports. They allow retailers to import products from abroad without the trademark owner's permission. But the reseller in Kaliningrad says there is still a problem associated with the practice. The only problem is with the warranty. Now the factory bears no responsibility for providing a warranty when a product has been delivered through a parallel import scheme. All the complaints would come to the seller. Kaliningrad is a Russian enclave sandwiched between two NATO members, Poland and Lithuania. It has been feeling the impacts of the sanctions. For residents there desperate to stock up on IKEA goods, there is a solution for now. I used to buy everything in St. Petersburg and in Moscow and send it here to Kaliningrad. Therefore, this shop for me, I just have to buy things that they ask for. Otherwise, I shop for myself elsewhere. Everything at home comes from IKEA. We don't have furniture that wasn't bought at IKEA. Since there are no other options now, we have to order things here. We used to buy them from everywhere. There used to be a Polish IKEA, a Russian IKEA, lots of places. IKEA is one among many global brands pulling out of Russia over the country's invasion of Ukraine. 
The company said it would sell factories, close offices, and reduce its 15,000-strong workforce in Russia. Coming up, in China, a news agency's editor is in trouble after he posted a poem about a cicada that turned political. All that and more right after the short break. The truce village of Panmunjom on the inter-Korean border remained calm today. That's despite high tension on the Korean peninsula due to the North's evolving nuclear threats. Soldiers from the South Korean side stood guard at the truce village, while North Korean soldiers were spotted monitoring visitors through a building's window. This year, North Korea has been conducting missile tests at an unprecedented pace, and the regime is believed to be preparing for its seventh nuclear test. Earlier this month, South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol presided over his first meeting with top military commanders. He called for strong capabilities to deter North Korea's nuclear and missile programs. South Korea reopened the truce village of Panmunjom's Joint Security Area, or JSA, to the public. Seoul said it had been closed for six months due to COVID-19 prevention measures. The JSA is in the demilitarized zone. It separates the two Koreas and has long been a popular tourist site with its bright blue buildings and soldiers from both sides standing face to face. Taiwan's parliament speaker is visiting the Czech Republic for a four-day trip high on the agenda China and the Ukraine war. The official's visit comes two years after the Czech Senate chairman came to the island to show the country's support for democracy and freedom. Here are the details on the latest visit. Any free and democratic country has to keep its sovereignty and independence. It has to care about its territorial integrity. It must not to get under the dependence of any other country, above all a totalitarian one. Czech Senate Chairman Milos Vistrachil met a parliamentary delegation in Taiwan and Prague on Monday. It's headed by Parliament Speaker Yu Si Kun. Discussing the threat of totalitarian regimes, Vistrachil noted European countries' dependence on Russian oil and gas and how it leads to them not being able to fully support Ukraine. Similar dependence on China seems to be present in the Czech Republic, too. Market research shows that major cell phone service providers in the country mostly relied on Chinese telecom giant Huawei while setting up their 4G networks. That has made it difficult to abandon Huawei equipment in their 5G networks. It's common for operators to work with the same vendor for both 4 and 5G to improve equipment performance. Though the Czech Republic didn't ban Huawei like many other countries, its cybersecurity agency did issue a formal warning against Huawei and another Chinese telecom gear company, ZTE, citing national security. In the Monday meeting, Taiwan's parliament speaker expressed gratitude to its Czech counterpart. Mr. Vistirichil wasn't afraid to heroically bring a Czech delegation to Taiwan. By this decisive act supporting democratic values, he has fought the acts of Chinese communist wolf diplomacy, underlined Taiwan's contribution to world democracy, raised the important role Taiwan plays in geopolitics, and helped the world to realize where Taiwan's values are. Czech President Milo Zeman has sought closer ties with the Chinese communist regime for years, but his efforts suffered after investment plans between the two countries failed. More recently, the parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee unanimously passed a resolution to quit a China-led platform for cooperation with Central and East European states. 
Only 14 countries have formal diplomatic ties with Taiwan. Many others, including major Western countries, have de facto embassies in Taiwan, which are often termed as trade offices. A cicada poem turns political. The author of a viral poem is in trouble after he allegedly alludes to Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping. Shanghai Media Group news agency editor Xuan Kezhong posted a poem about cicada on his Weibo, the Chinese Twitter, last Friday. And he was quickly made to delete the poem after half an hour. The screenshot had already began to circulate and it draws the attention of the Chinese internet. The poem expresses his frustration with cicada's noise in Shanghai's sizzling summer heat. But his usage of terms like fathead, big ears, and think you are smart are being interpreted as allegedly referencing Xi Jinping, the CCP leader. In the censored environment of Chinese web, users will resort to indirect references to criticize the leadership, because direct criticism could bring trouble onto themselves. The news agency he works for allegedly scolded Xuan. According to an internal memo, Xuan acknowledged that he was unaware of the sensitivity and acted on emotions. Internet comments expressed their different reactions. One suggests they had not realized the poem was directed at Xi until it was deleted. Many netizens said such censorship has the opposite result. People was alerted and get to learn about the matter. Chinese internet is known to censor certain phrases deemed politically sensitive, especially towards the political leadership. In one instance, a popular app from China called Little Red Book deletes 564 terms associated with direct or indirect references to Xi Jinping, including terms like Winnie the Pooh, writing history. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, leaders in aviation gathered at the Farnborough Air Show on Monday. Now that travel is rebounding from the pandemic, some jets are back in demand. And in Sweden, a first-of-its-kind so-called smart road is helping power an airport shuttle bus. It's part of the country's plans to achieve net zero emissions by 2045. We'll have all that and more for you after this short break. Top aviation companies gathered for the return of the Farnborough Air Show in England on Monday, aiming for a display of confidence after the pandemic. A national emergency has been declared in Britain for Monday and Tuesday, with temperatures set to rise above 104 degrees for the first time ever. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more. Despite the heat warnings, people battled crowded trains and shuttle buses to reach the show in Hampshire. This is the first time since 2018 that Farnborough Air Show is taking place. The show was cancelled in 2020, obviously because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So now we're back. Aviation has changed quite a bit since then. Boeing is trying to make up ground lost to rival Airbus and has orders worth over $15 billion from Delta Airlines and Lufthansa. Demand for jets peaked in 2016, but remained steady until the pandemic crippled air transport. Now travel is rebounding, and some jets are back in demand. When the pandemic began, airlines were looking to delay or even cancel their orders. 
but now that demand is back and the money is coming back in again, airlines are keen to, to receive their aircraft again. The big ticket orders that dominated past events are rarer as airlines recover from the pandemic. Aerospace firms came under pressure from customers at the start of the show to stabilize fractured supply chains and meet resurgent jet demand. Even as airlines and airports are struggling to smooth their own operations after the pandemic. Now we are in a phase where demand is going up quite quickly. We are seeing a lot of airlines that are suddenly getting overwhelmed by the amount of, of passengers that suddenly want to fly. Uh, this summer there are lots of people that want to make up their holiday that they couldn't do during the COVID-19 pandemic. Industries worldwide are facing gaps in supply chains and labor shortages. Even the Farnborough Air Show itself has had trouble recruiting enough hospitality staff. Rising defense spending will also be in focus as the industry gathers as the war in Ukraine continues. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. According to reports, the U.S. Department of Defense is nearing a deal with Lockheed Martin. They plan to buy 375 F-35 fighter jets from the company over three years. Negotiation meetings were held in Washington Monday, seeking an agreement on both a price range and quantity. If finalized, the total value is estimated at around $30 billion. The deal comes amid an expected increase in the price of these jets, fueled by their reduced numbers and inflation. Delta Airlines is planning to add Boeing's 737 MAX airplanes to its fleet for the first time. Monday, the carrier announced it is ordering 100 of the jets. Delta has not ordered planes from Boeing in five years. It has instead been ordering aircraft from competitor Airbus. Boeing's 737 MAX was grounded by regulators in 2019 after two crashes killed 346 people and was not allowed back in the air for nearly two years. Delta's deal to buy the new planes is worth about $13.5 billion. The specific version of the jet, called the MAX 10, has not yet received regulatory approval. Delta officials say if that doesn't happen by the end of the year, it may back out of the deal. On the Swedish holiday island of Gotland, a first-of-its-kind so-called smart road is helping power an airport shuttle bus. The tech could soon be charging up to 1,200 miles of the country's busiest roads. And today's Andrew Thomas reports. This airport bus is about to go on a journey, partially powered by the road it's driving on. On the Swedish island of Gotland, one of its busiest roads is buzzing with wireless electric energy. We are entering the electric road. It's a wireless electric road, so we are charging while driving right now. The Smart Road is a one-mile-long demo project on the outskirts of the island's biggest town, Visby. It works using dynamic wireless power transfer technology, allowing electricity to wirelessly flow from five-foot-long copper coils built under the asphalt to three receivers installed underneath the bus. The road is uh, identifying uh, this bus, and as the soon as we uh, drive over the coils, the road starts to transfer energy through the air to the bus. Electricity is transferred via induction, a technology that's seen in electric toothbrush chargers, modern stoves, and more. With this technology, you can have smaller batteries and you can charge while you go. The road is claimed to be a world first for charging larger trucks and buses. Carla Narsen says the technology isn't wasteful. A management system detects approaching electric vehicles and delivers targeted energy just to them. It's invisible. So when you look at the road, you don't see anything. We have the management units under the ground. That's a big thing for maintenance and for safety. 
The technology was developed by Israeli company Electrion. The company says tests have seen a 40-ton truck reach speeds of up to 50 miles per hour, while receiving an average charge of 70 kilowatts from the electrified roadway. If you have this together in synergy with the road system, electric road system, uh, dynamic charging, means that you don't have to have a battery at all, or you can have a smaller battery, especially for the heavy traffic. Sweden's government has set an ambitious goal of installing around 1,200 miles of electrified roads by 2030. It's part of a plan to achieve net zero emissions by 2045. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Aston Martin is bringing back a blast from the past to celebrate 100 years at the French Grand Prix. Ahead of Sunday's race, world champion Sebastian Vettel will take the team's original car for a celebratory lap. The team's original car, the TT1, is affectionately known as Green Pea. The cars were built by Aston Martin founder Lionel Martin following a commission by a wealthy young motor racing driver. Vettel says he's very excited to put Green Pea through its faces. He says it's crazy how long the car has been around and taking it for a lap will be a very different experience than what he is used to. The first Aston Martin Grand Prix car weighed in at over 1,600 pounds. That's almost 100 pounds lighter than today's modern Aston Martin Grand Prix racer. And the cars carried two seats so that a mechanic could ride with the driver. And just ahead, conservationists release bison into an ancient forest in England. They hope it can improve the environment. It's the first time in thousands of years that bison have roamed wild in the country. An Olympic figure skating star, Yuzuru Hanyu, has announced retirement from competition. He said he will turn pro and pursue the next stage of his career. All that and more after the short break. Conservation groups have released some bison into an ancient woodland in Kent County in England. This is the first time in thousands of years that bison have roamed the British landscape. Conservationists hope bison can help restore the woods with their natural behavior and create new spaces for other wildlife. NTD's Earl Rhodes has more. Bison have been introduced to their new home in ancient British woodland. The release, led by the Kent Wildlife Trust and the Wildwood Trust, forms part of a £1 million project to manage West Blean and Thorndon Woods near Canterbury, Kent. Conservationists said the European bison, the continent's largest land mammal, is the closest living relative to ancient steppe bison that would have once roamed Britain and naturally managed the habitat. They hoped the bison could help restore the woods with their natural behaviour. Bison fell trees by rubbing up against them and eating the bark, creating areas of space and light in the woods and providing deadwood, which will help other plants and animals. They create patches of bare earth by dust bathing, which can provide a habitat for insects and lizards. A matriarch brought from Scotland and two youngsters from Ireland have been released, while a bull from Germany is arriving later to complete the herd. Experts said despite their size with adult males weighing up to a ton, bison are peaceful. It's the first time in thousands of years that bison have roamed the British landscape, and they'll soon be joined by other grazing animals, including Exmoor ponies, Iron Age pigs, and Longhorn cattle, who will also create a variety of natural habitats. Earl Rhodes, NTD News. Dolphins live in one of Brazil's most famous water bodies, Guanabara Bay in Rio de Janeiro. But unfortunately, the water contains not only dolphins, but also chemicals and sewage. 
Around 30 Guyana dolphins live in the Bay of Rio de Janeiro. There used to be far more, but pollution levels in the bay rose and the area was overfished. The local government has promised for years to clean the water by fixing, leaking, and direct discharges of raw sewage into the offshore waters. That would be needed to create a favorable environment for the dolphin's survival. But still, the water is not clean. Besides all the harmful chemicals, a great number of cargo ships navigate through the bay. Scientists and researchers now study the dolphins and the water in hopes of increasing their numbers. Fans of the Olympics will want to mark their calendar for July 14, 2028. That's the scheduled starting date for the Los Angeles Olympic Games. The city will also host the Paralympic Games, which will begin on August 14, 2028. Officials made the announcement Monday at Exposition Park in Los Angeles, the home for the Olympics in 1932 and 1984. Los Angeles will become only the third city to host the Olympic Games three times. It's the first time the city will host the Paralympic Games. Japan's figure skating legend Yuzuru Hanyu says he's decided to turn professional. He says that means he'll stop competing. His announcement was made at a press conference today in Tokyo. As a professional skater, I will no longer be able to continue to compete with other athletes. However, going forward, I would like to continue skating and go to an even higher stage. Hanyu is considered one of the greatest skaters of all time. He is a double Olympic champion in figure skating. At the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympics, he became the first man to win back-to-back gold medals in more than half a century. And this was achieved while he was suffering from an ankle injury. At the Beijing Olympics in February, Hanyu sought to pull off a third gold medal, but ended in fourth place. Hanyu said his decision to retire from competition was driven by his injury as well as uncertainty about the future. But the 27-year-old added that he will continue to pursue his dream and keep working on his skating career. Towering waves on Hawaii's south shores crashed into homes and businesses, spilled across highways, and upended weddings over the weekend. The large waves, some more than 20 feet high, came from a combination of factors. The National Weather Service says unusually high tides, a southern swell that peaked Saturday. A wedding Saturday evening in Kailua, Kona, was interrupted when a few very large waves swamped the event. It sent tables and chairs crashing toward guests. Sarah Ackerman is an author who grew up in Hawaii and attended the wedding. She filmed the waves as they barreled ashore. She said it happened about five minutes before the ceremony was scheduled to begin, but they went ahead with the ceremony and cleaned up the mess after the newlyweds exchanged vows. A meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service office in Honolulu called the historic swell, saying it's the largest it's been in several decades. He said the waves were a product of an interesting convergence of events. And thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.